This podcast is sponsored by Picmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Picmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Picmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. I'm so excited to be speaking today with Dr. Amber Robbins, MBA. She is a family medicine physician and she currently practices at Rochester Regional Health, where she is a director of their graduate medical education, diversity, equity, and inclusion program, among other duties that she fulfills. Dr. Robbins is also the founder of Sanctuary, which we'll definitely be getting into later on in this episode. Dr. Robbins, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So excited. So you are joining the long list of Xavier graduates that I've had on the show. How was your experience down in Louisiana? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm from Louisiana, believe it or not, even though I'm practicing New York. Oh, wow. Um, but yes, I love my experience at Xavier. It, I mean, I think even when I was there, I didn't realize the magnitude of how much Xavier Xavier rights are all over in regards to being doctors and pharmacists and just kind of doing so many things in healthcare. But yeah, it was a great experience there. I have great friendships from Xavier and a, a great network of people to really uh, talk to about different things. So yeah, it, it is uh, one of the better decisions that I've made in my life to go there. I'm going to have to charge them for advertising at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> well, the formula works. We we made it, right? So it does. that proves something. So when you went to Xavier, was your plan initially to become a physician? Yes. So uh, my sister actually uh, went to Xavier before me, um, and I was I was aware of their uh, how they are able to get minorities into medicine, black uh, black people into medicine. So I was aware of that. And honestly, uh, all of us who were in my group, for the most part, wanted to go into medicine. So all of those who were in my friend group. I applied to medical school really early, though. I applied to medical school during my second semester of my freshman year. And I was a part of the early assurance program at the University of Rochester. So the first semester of my sophomore year, I was flown up to Rochester, New York, and I had my, um, my interview at the University of Rochester with all the other applicants. And by the end of that semester, I found out that I got in. So yeah, so I knew where I was going to medical school fairly early as well. So not just only that I wanted to be a physician, but where I would become a physician later. It's probably the only way you can get somebody from Louisiana up to Rochester, (laughs) New York. They're sneaky, (laughs) very sneaky. So, So tell me about this early assurance program. Is it still in existence? Yes, it is. Uh, we actually have quite a few early assurance programs that are connected with uh, with Xavier. University of Rochester is one of them, and it's one of our more stronger pipelines 
so um, when I did it, it was a second year of existence. So I was the only one from my uh, from Xavier to go to University of Rochester, a part of my class. Um, but we've had as many as uh, six to seven uh, students within a, a medical school class from Xavier who have been a part of the early assurance program. Wow. So once you had that, you, you flew up for the interview and then you completed the rest of your time at Xavier? Yes, I completed the rest of my time at Xavier, had to ma- maintain a GPA, um, um, a certain GPA. And then between my junior and senior year, I also did a summer program at the University of Rochester. So it was an intro to medical school and an intro to Rochester, even though Rochester is so different in the summertime versus <laughs> the wintertime. Gotcha. So they were, they were uh, smart on doing that. But yeah, it was it was a great way for me to understand what medical school was like, understand what the environment would be like, uh, learn about the teachers, different students, be able to create a network up here uh, in Rochester, where I am li- living now. I still can't believe it. I <laughs> well, still can't believe. <laughs> we, we, I see now how that happened. <laughs> yeah, they. I'm telling you, they're sneaky. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic, and and, and yeah. I had no idea a lot of these programs existed that I've been able to learn about uh, through talking mm-hmm. to people like yourself. Yeah, yeah, they are a lot of them. Um, my my husband actually um, was a part of a program like that too at Hampton um, between Hampton and Boston University. So uh, they it, it's quite a few that exist. Fantastic. So you mm-hmm. left Xavier, the, the warmth of mm-hmm. Louisiana. You moved up to Rochester for medical school. How was that transition for you? At first, it was fine. It felt like I was doing the summer program all over again. And then the winter hit and I was in my little kitty heels slipping and sliding in the snow (laughs) because I never really saw that much snow before. So that adjustment was hard. And also being one of the very few minorities in my class was an adjustment coming from an HBCU who it's mostly all of us, and you can have so many different conversations about being a minority and uh, the struggles. Uh, when I when I came to a predominantly white institution, those conversations definitely changed. Um, but I was able to figure out how to really play the game and be able to survive and thrive. When you say play the game, mm-hmm. it's another give us a specific <laughs> if you if you could. Yeah. So I recognize that I wouldn't be at the top of my class like I was when I was an undergrad. Hmm. Um, I realized that I could not put a lot of my value into how I perform, because honestly, in medical school, you're just trying. A lot of times it felt like I was surviving. I don't know if it was like that for other people, but for most minorities, uh, it kind of feels like that. Even the ones who are doing really well, they feel like we're about to get kicked out. Uh, yes. So, yeah. so for me, I leaned on other areas that I knew I wanted to also develop. So for me, I wrote, I began to write in a journal called the Journal for Minority Medical Students. And I just uh, randomly kind of um, saw the magazine, the, the journal up in our admissions office. And I was like, oh, I, I want to try that. So I leaned on that and I was able to get published and have my own column. And that led me to then have a certain pathway within medical school. So mine was humanities. So I was uh, pretty strong in humanities and writing and reading. And then I also did a bit of teaching um, because my passion was to really push diversity in medicine. 
So even though I wasn't at the top of the class at the end, I still graduated with honors in two areas. Wow. <laughs> and so I always say that, you know, if you find your lane and you find what really drives you and what you're passionate about, really nobody can beat you at that and you would automatically shine. So I was able to figure that out. Um, that my strengths were, yes, in practicing medicine, but there were so many other things that I could do um, and so many other ways that I could express myself and be able to teach patients, um, teach my colleagues. Uh, and I w- I, you know, I'm thankful that I had mentors to also guide me in that. And later on, I found out I really like business. So, <laughs> um, yes. So it's, it's a, um, just trying to find who you are. I think that's, I'm grateful that I was able to to really hone into into those type of skills. You need Absolutely. to be diverse in medicine. You can't be just a one-note wonder. Absolutely. So. And it's so important to remind ourselves that our net worth is not tied up in that letter grade we're getting in school. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're taught that it is. And so right. you get to medical school, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be because it's not going to work mm. out. Nope. <laughs> so, so at what point did you buy your first real jacket? I was up in D.C. I struggled for quite a ways into winter before I actually buckled down and bought a jacket. Did you you knew what you're getting into? Yes. So I bought it, I would say, maybe the fall of my first year. And it became a tradition of what we would do for all of our Xavier graduates who would then matriculate to make sure that they had the right jacket and the right boots. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's little things. Yeah, <laughs> which become big things. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Dr. Robbins, as you completed medical school, which is, is awesome that you had this other passion you're developing in, in journalism and humanities, what led you to pursue family medicine? Yeah, so for me, it kind of fit into what I was trying to do. So I realized that I didn't want to just do one thing in medicine. And some specialties, even though I was, I was, on surgical specialties, and they basically said, you need to go into surgery because you have the skills. Um, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do, or I felt as if at that time, I wouldn't be able to do all of these other things. Um, I knew I just didn't want to practice clinical medicine. I wanted to be able to um, advocate in different ways and all of those things. So family medicine really kind of lended to that. Mm-hmm. Um, lended to my interest in women's health, lended to my interest in psychiatry. Um, it also allowed me to talk with patients and be able to expose younger people who look like me to go into medicine, you know, because of that touch point. So it was a natural fit. At first, I didn't, I wasn't sure because we didn't really have a strong rotation with family medicine. But as I went along and I saw, okay, I, I see my many interests and what I want to do. It 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 kind of came to me. At first, it was OBGYN. Um, I will be transparent because I think it's important for people to know. Even though I excelled in medical school, I didn't match. I matched into hmm. family medicine. Um, I didn't match initially. Let's say that. So I, I went for OBGYN, and then um, I uh, soaked. Uh, during that weekend, I, I matched into family medicine. I actually had an anesthesia interview. I almost did that too. Um, <laughs> but during my intern year, I actually found that family medicine fit everything that I wanted to do, which was weird because you hear people say that the match actually does work. 
for people who may not necessarily know exactly where they want to go. And for me, that was what happened. It actually worked out that it's exactly what I wanted to do in the end. So it's kind of weird how that happens. And so I always try to, I always try to motivate people and encourage people if they do go through that process and they go through that, not to think that you're not good or that you aren't great at what you do. It just may mean that it's not the right fit. Uh, and you may not have gotten the exposure um, that you may have needed to make a decision one Absolutely. way or the other. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. huge, especially these days because things are changing and things are more. Compa- it's it's uh, more people aren't matching. Oof. Yeah, and more the more people. It's basically us. A lot of us aren't matching. <laughs> yeah, so, but keep yeah. your head up. It's everything happens for a reason, and you know, have faith, mm-hmm. believe it's going to work out. Yeah, and reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So at what point did you decide to to pursue an MBA? <laughs> so this is funny. So when I was having my soul searching moment during my intern year, yeah. I was just like, who has time for that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought about a couple of things. First, that medicine would not be an equation for me, meaning that you do one plus one equals two. That is not the field of medicine for uh, everyone. Some people, it works out like that, where you do certain things and you get certain results. So I knew early on, I didn't want to put all of my eggs in one basket. Uh, So I started talking to my attendings about business stuff and... They they were confused because they were like, well, you're just in residency. What are you doing? Why are you talking about like, okay, how do you run the hospital and how uh, do these things work? And why are we making certain decisions with uh, insurance? And um, maybe we can uh, we can do or tweak this instrument to make it work better. And then, oh, then it w- wouldn't that be a great idea? And wouldn't that be another source of income? So I would have all of these conversations with my yeah. attendings. And the one day that I remember was when I was in the OR with one of my OBGYN attendings. And um, he was also the chief quality officer for the hospital. And I told him that I possibly would be interested in something like that. And he told me that I should get my MBA. And I thought he was crazy because he said I should get my MBA while I was a resident. Oh, <laughs> oh my. So. <laughs> So I, um, I was told him, okay, well, I'll consider, you know, possibly. <laughs> but then the next rotation that I had, which my, which was my last rotation um, as an intern, uh, was in the ICU. My attending was in his mid thirties. He just got back from medical leave. He um, had been diagnosed with lung cancer, and he was, um, you know, just trying to get his life back together and recover. And I talked to him about my interest because, you know, I was just, I don't know why I was talking to everybody about this, but I was talking to him (laughs) about it. And he said, well, why not now? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So if this is something that you want to do, then why not do it now? And plus, you don't have a life anyway in residency. So why not add on (laughs) some business classes? So I applied during that rotation I applied to LSU Shreveport for my MBA, and I was able to do it um, uh, virtually, I guess you would say now, uh, through their program. So while I was going between my second and third year, I was doing my MBA, 
And literally the same day that I graduated residency was the same day that I finished my MBA. So I was able to graduate with both of them <laughs> by the wow. time I finished. Yeah. And it wasn't that I wasn't busy. <laughs> I just wanted to look at medicine differently. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're the first person I've met that completed an MBA during residencies. So hats off. Uh, that's impressive. Thank you. Well, it it changes the way that you look at medicine. Um, I actually had my clinic as one of my. I gave them a consult, a business consult, and Wait a <laughs> it's so funny. I'm laughing because he, um, the medical director. I was telling them, okay, we can do these different things with communication and how we're able to uh, have the office function. And he wanted me to do it as a resident project. And I said, no, I'm not doing this as a resident project. I'm a business consultant. Okay. This is something you pay me for. <laughs> so I obviously that conversation stopped. <laughs> so just saying. Wow. So it changes the way you think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think your, your story, because it kind of di- diverges in some ways that I haven't heard from a lot of other people, right? This... Uh, mm-hmm. MBA during residency. And then you went on after finishing residency to complete a fellowship, which I think is so cool. And I I knew had to have existed, but you actually found it and you did it. You completed a fellowship in health and media at Georgetown Mm -hmm. University. So first, how did you find out that that was even a thing? Again, my intern year, I started searching. (laughs) You're soul searching. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because when something like that happens to you and the bottom drops out, you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I really want to do? How do I really make this career where I want it to go? Because obviously some things may not have worked how I wanted to, but maybe it was because I wasn't looking in the right direction. So I started looking. My eyes were wide open. And so I found out about it during my intern year. I later... uh, it was brought back to my attention. I did a first, I did an ABC news rotation during residency. Uh, so it was a one month rotation where I was a part of the medical unit at ABC and we were able to report on different things that were coming up with different studies. And, um, at that time it was Zika was a hot topic. So from there, they also were uh, connected with Georgetown. So one of their, their former fellows, uh, worked with ABC in New York. So, it kind of naturally was a fit that I would, I, I could look in there. Um, I found initially about it, about, uh, about the program on the AFP website where they have, a, uh, both traditional and non-traditional fellowships. So I found it there and, and yeah, it, it just kind of worked out in my, uh, in a lot of ways. Cause my sister was also in the area. So okay. it was one way to be with family too. It was a one year program. It was a one year program. Uh, non-ACGME. So I was working as an attending, getting paid as a resident. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but what I was... What MBA negoti- <laughs> negotiating skills? Uh, this, is, this is also knowing that you're going to gain some skills that can help you along the way that help you stand out. So, yeah, that was non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like either you take it or you don't. Take it or leave it. it. Yes. So I was able to work with, uh, uh, my main site was at PBS NewsHour. So 
So I was able to get behind the scenes there, work with their digital, so their online platform, and also work with their broadcast. So I was on PBS NewsHour. I was behind the scenes doing produce, uh, being one of uh, doing some work like a producer, um, being able to interview people on their social media. Uh, I was able to do a lot of things, write for their um, for their digital. And also write for other places like Huffington Post. Um, and I had articles at ABC News. So I was able to do all those things and really create a stronger foundation in, in journalism and media. Yeah. So um, was uh, it broken down into different rotations or different blocks? No, I was. So when I was there, I had two days where I would work at PBS NewsHour. I had two days where I would be working as an attending and a half of the day, I, uh, half of have a day a week, I would be uh, working with residents. So I was supervising them. And then I also did a couple of weeks of inpatient where I was supervising residents in that way too. So it was faculty development too. So that helped me along the way. Gotcha. And so those, so those, those skills that you developed back in medical school, writing and that humanities kind of specialty, mm-hmm. you know, seems like they helped you out in this as well. Definitely. And they helped me in creating women in white coats. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. I saw. I was going to ask. Go for, yeah, please tell us more. So at the end of uh, my fellowship, I launched the first book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. And from there, uh, we created a, a community of women doctors from all over the country. And uh, our goal is to help uplift and empower them. So we do that through, uh, at first it was through just the book. Now we do it through wellness and empowerment coaching. And then I also teach people how to do media. So let's circle back to the Chronicles of Women in White Coats. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this. It's a book? It is a book. So yes, so it's a book series and it talks about different stories um, that women doctors have experienced, their life experiences, because What I was interested in was trying to figure out, okay, if what I'm experiencing is normal as a woman doctor, or is this something that we just don't talk about enough and everybody's experienced it on their own? And so it's more of, we don't talk about stuff. Uh, We're in our own different silos, but all of us can be suffering by ourselves. All of us may have some ideas that may be brewing that we're not sure um, if they will actually come to fruition. There are different things that I noticed, imposter syndrome coming up, and people are having those things and experiencing those things on their own. Um, and it causes more depression and anxiety and things like that. So I wanted to know what the true story was. You know, I watched Grey's Anatomy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I knew <laughs> after going through medical school that that was not the case. In residency, that was not the case. So what was it really like to be a woman in a white coat and so, um, so that has really blossomed and uh, really became a, a nice, safe space and community for women doctors. Gotcha. And, and it's in a broader organization as well? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. If you go to womeninwhitecoats.com, we have a blog there, we have a podcast there, and our coaching programs as well. So all about making sure women doctors know that they're wonderful and that they have a group of women behind them cheering them on all along the way. So that's what we do. Fantastic. And this was coming on the heels of your fellowship. And you have since returned to Rochester and gotten plugged in into the uh, kind of educational pipeline and Mm -hmm. seeing patients. Yes. 
So, uh, yeah, so now I am core faculty at a family medicine program with, uh, associated with Rochester Regional Health. They recruited me back, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't going to let you leave. I uh, know, right? Let's see. Yeah, I negotiated that too. But uh, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I'm back doing uh, that. So, working with residents and also medical students. And I'm also the director for diversity and equity and inclusion for the graduate medical education office. So all of this kind of comes full circle because my passion has always been diversity in medicine. Uh, I've done research in diversity in medicine and, you know, being a part of women in white coats and being able to advocate for more women, that's been a part of everything that I'm doing uh, as well. So, yeah. So my goal is to make sure that we have minorities here within the program, but also that we have a great pipeline within the Rochester community. And then hopefully uh, we have some more Xavier Wrights who come here too. <laughs> um, and just in general, more more minorities. So yeah, so just Absolutely. paving the way for that. Shout out all the Xavier folks. I'll get you a, a coat and some winter boots as well. Well, I was Miss Xavier at Xavier <laughs> University. <laughs> I was that, so. So, uh, so, Dr. Robbins, you mentioned advocating for women. I think that's so important, obviously. But to that end, you also created Sanctuary. That's S-A-N-X-T-U-A-R-Y-M-D. And this company is committed to empowering women of all ages, creating a community of women who are confident about their bodies, feel educated, and are inspired to make a difference in the world. Talk to us about Sanctuary. Yes. So I am so excited about this, for sure, because this has been a brainchild since, well, a part of it came when I was, let's say, in middle school, and then another part came when I was in residency. Uh, no, medical school, medical wow. school. See, I get them mixed up because I've been in Rochester. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to think about where I was living <laughs> um, when I had the idea. But yes, so Sanctuary MD uh, first starts with our first products uh, line is having a, a panty that keeps the pad in place um, as well as um, it's leak resistant. So for me and a lot of women, um, we go through different types of periods. Uh, for me, more so because of fibroids, I have heavy periods. So it wasn't uncommon that I would have hard days where I would be concerned about leaking. And being a family doctor, I thought at first, okay, well, it's just me. Maybe if I start talking to some mm. people, maybe, no, no, this is a concern for a lot of women. And a part of that also is that people don't know what's normal versus what's abnormal. And I found myself in a lot of conversations talking about that. So Sanctuary MD is all about that. So we don't just provide the, the panty or the support that women need or, or um, well, deserve during that special time of the month. We also talk about what are things that are normal versus abnormal. Is vaginal discharge... <laughs> He's over here like, oh, I don't know what it's vaginal discharge. <laughs> Y'all can't see his face. He's, he's I, like I, a blank face. <laughs> my, my face is very professional right now. Right. <laughs> Continue, Dr. Robbins. So we, talk about, we talk about vaginal discharge. <laughs> we talk about um, heavy periods. We teach. What I'm super excited about is that we have a first 
our uh, what is called a first period kit. So it teaches young girls about puberty and what to expect during that stage. Uh, so it's all about educating and then providing the resource. So I'm so excited about this because it's literally, I really think that this is a part of why I was put in the position that I was put in um, with bringing the media side so uh, and teaching and then also bringing the business side together and then also bringing my creative side um, to de- of design uh, because we've act- we're actually patent pending uh, oh, with wow. the technology that we have to keep the pattern in place. So I am so excited about this. Nervous, but excited about launching the new product. product oh, you're project. excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how we first connected online yeah. was you, you talking about this new product, which again is huge and clearly needed. As you, you may have mentioned this before, but, but tell me about the My Period University. I think that's something that... Yes. So that's where we will be doing a lot of the teaching about different things that go on with women. And what I know it will do is it will empower women to be able to take charge of their bodies and to know what's going on. So we'll talk about, like I said, vaginal discharge about, okay, what's the difference between a UTI and having a vaginal infection? Because that question, I don't know if it comes up as much in anesthesia, but it definitely definitely comes up in clinic. Like, oh, I don't know. Or even when it comes to like how, how to honestly, like what birth control to use or uh, if you should use a pad versus a tampon. So it's really kind of going into those those conversations that I would have on a regular basis with a patient one-to-one, um, but it's putting it in a broader scale. So that's what my period university is, really teaching about those different things in a fun way, because I have to have fun. If it ain't fun, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, so, yeah. And then we also have a part of that, a, co- a career queen's. So that is a part of my period university. And what that does is it exposes young girls to various women who are doing different things within science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And that is my way of doing some role modeling and to hopefully do some mentoring so that we can get more women um, doing these various different things that maybe traditionally we haven't done. Uh, My mom is an engineer. So I would love to see more women in engineering. And of course, I would love to see more. Well, we're taking over medicine. Women are. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But just knowing, um, having young girls know that they can do that. And not only young girls, even women who are are doing it and are feeling isolated. I just like to bring people together and support them. Absolutely. Well, I can't imagine how it feels to be at that age and go through all these changes, so thankfully, mm-hmm. you're developing this program to really help folks at that vulnerable point in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the The hope is that it can support. I mean, I'm all about that, uplifting and, and empowering um, not only women. I feel like I do that for most, for people who are me, just um, but specifically for young women. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's very different. <laughs> And trying to figure out where to get a manufacturer, your your things manufactured, and um, who how to put together things, and is this product up to up to snuff of what you want to go out? But uh, it's it's been a fun experience, and I, I know this is just the beginning of, of of so much more. 
How did you coordinate your website and branding? Because your, your website is phenomenal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, first, I, I love color. So there's a lot of color there. Um, and then I also, you know, kind of lean on, lean on people to coach me as well. So I've had my own coaches on how to do this. Um, what are the right next steps? Uh, because honestly, I don't want to make too many mistakes. I know I'm going to make mistakes, but um, the bar is high. Whenever I put my name on something, I want it to be the best it can be. And so for branding, I've had, with my media background, you know, I've learned to be able to brand myself in a a way. Um, And then I also have a team who I'm able to kind of able to send certain things and say, okay, is this on par? And what do you think? And um, friends, family to be able to give me feedback. So that's, that's the way that I do. And yeah, what I do with women in white coats is branding. So I teach people how to brand themselves. So. Yeah, you know, looking that. looking at stephenbradleymd.com, I might need to learn some of that branding from you. So, oh, okay. well, <laughs> hey, we know each other now. So, yeah, there you go. Don't, don't compare these websites. So, the uh, sanctuary <laughs> website is s a n x t u a r y m d.com. You can go there to learn about Sanctuary MD and My Period University, um, including this amazing product, the Period Panty. Um, that Dr. Robbins has created. Yay, I'm so excited. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Robbins, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And we've covered so much ground. What would you say to folks that are interested in pursuing further education or training in this health and media uh, niche that you you fulfill? Uh, first, don't be afraid of it. A lot of our, a lot of journalists that I've uh, talked to over the years, they're very eager to get more doctors to really tell them about what's important or what um, patients should know about. So reaching out um, is so key. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, you can also contact me. Uh, I would be happy to help you through that journey because I know uh, even that can be isolating. But just do it. Like I tell those who I coach, those who I've worked with over the years, don't think, just do. And so if you continue to do that, if that's something that's in your heart to do, then just reach out to people and start doing it. You have YouTube, you have your own uh, Facebook, you have uh, you know Twitter, you have Instagram, TikTok, just do it. Just do it. I think uh, Nike has... You might want something, some money for that. Okay, don't think, just do it. How about that? (laughs) Oh, there we go. Love it. And for those interested in the Chronicles of Women in White Coats, tell them how they can get plugged in and what they can gain from that resource. Sure. So first, you you can go to womeninwhitecoats.com. Uh, there you'll, like I said um, before, you can see our blog there. We actually have a conference that's coming up in the in the spring. Um, so I'm excited about that. It uh, will be in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so you can uh, see us in person there or you can join us for our, our different coaching programs. So we have our empowerment and wellness program coming up in January. And then each year we open the doors to see about women being in the Chronicles of Women in White Coats. So that will be coming up in the summer of 2022, where we'll open the doors and start doing our interviews. Fantastic. And then anything else that you want to add about Sanctuary MD? Yes. So we will be launching Sanctuary MD in January 2022. 
So it is going to be an exciting time. And I just want y'all to support me. Like, this is just something out of my, the, you know, this is something very different than what I normally yeah. do. I'll buy um, one out of solidarity. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I would appreciate that. And just have your patients about it, your family members about it. Because, you know, uh, this is this is important space that I want more of us to step into and I want to be able to open doors in this way as well. So uh, yeah, support me. That would be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dr. Robbins, thank you so much for joining thank us on the you. show. Thank you for everything that you've shared and everything you're going to continue to do. We'll definitely keep an eye on in the future because representation matters. Yes very much and not only representation but representation where you're sitting at the table and making the decisions that matters too there we go i said mba speaking <laughs> yeah yeah thanks so much important. Of course. thank you the black doctors podcast is a non-profit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen if you enjoy listening tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media we are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters.